Hey everybody, it's Richard Harrison, Scott Lease with another edition of the Surf and Sales Podcast. Super exciting uh, guest because whereas Scott likes to think he's actually a professional retired athlete, we actually have a real professional <laughs> athlete. Oh, come on. Come on. Uh, but first, a quick shout out to our, to our four sponsors for the month of October, uh, which is Lead411, Lead411 Perception Predict, um, Gong, and uh, Find Them. Um, so please check those folks out. They, they make this happen, and we're super supportive to them for supporting us. Uh, without further ado, and by the way, this gentleman who is a professional athlete, uh, that's not why he's here. Um, I'm sure we're going to talk about it, but he is actually the Senior Director of Sales Development at Sixth Sense. Been there about 18 months, give or take. Has a good sales career, and his name is Ernest Owusu. So Ernest, welcome to the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. And, and perfect pronunciation. I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I did add, like I'm, you know, by the way, for everybody who's, it's okay to ask people how to pronounce their names. Like, <laughs> important. like it's a really important sales skill. Um, it's also important after they tell you to then get it right. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think I've, Scott, in, in 165 episodes, I think I've called somebody by the, rat, the wrong first name, not to mention last name. So, um, only once. So that, that's pretty okay. Tell, tell everybody, um, you know, about your role, Ernest, and, and, and what it is um, and what Sixth Sense does a little bit, but mostly like, what's the function? What's the sales cycle like? What type of sale are we in? All that kind of stuff. Give everybody some context. Yeah, sure thing. So uh, Sixth Sense, so I'm, I lead our SDR team here at Sixth Sense. Uh, as Richard mentioned, been here for about about 18 months. Um, we have a team locally out in the East Coast as well as West Coast, but Sixth Sense is essentially an account-based, everyone's talking about that nowadays, an account-based platform which helps companies identify when someone wants to buy your product so you can prioritize them and ultimately engage them in a way that will ultimately convert them into opportunities. Uh, so as I mentioned, been with the team for about 18 months. It's been a blast seeing what we've done. Um, in terms of what our team, uh, kind of how we sell into, so I, I kind of classify as more of like, a high mid-market, low, lower enterprise, if you kind of want to justify it that way. Um, so, you know, and honestly, through all things going on this year with COVID and everything, that, that space that we're in has been largely uh, not very impactful, which is cool. And I definitely attest that to what we do with our product. But, um, you know, as mentioned, it's been, it's been awesome since I've been to this company and watching us grow and super excited for the future. Gotcha. What was it like moving all the way across the country from Vermont out to the Bay Area. And for those who don't know, um, I'm not talking about for work. I mean, you, you went to, ended up going to school out in yeah. California, and, you know, yeah. when you were playing football and stuff, but now you're, but now you're back in the, in the Bay. What was that? Was that like a whole new world? Yeah. So to even add more to that, so I'm actually from Nashville, Tennessee. So uh, right. going from Nashville to Berkeley, California <laughs> was definitely <laughs> quite the adjustment to say the least. And it's kind of funny because uh, as you mentioned, you know, I was a professional athlete. I had the opportunity to go to Cal, UT Berkeley, go Bears um, and play football. But when I took my official visit to like see whether or not I wanted to go to school there, there was just like massive protests where people were like, like camped out in these trees because they didn't want them to get cut down. And they actually were there for that like, protest actually. Yeah. So they were there for like two or three years, but it was like when I first came out to school to visit, that's when it happened. But uh, that occurrence was my, my huge, nice, beautiful taste of what California would be like. And in a weird way, I kind of fell in love with it. And ever since I've been out here. So, I mean, aside from like bouncing around through football, but uh, I love the Bay area. It's been awesome living out here. 
But were you were you interested in in sales and tech like while you were in school, or is this something that just happened after your football career was done? Yeah, it, it happened like pretty much after football. I I got my degree in political economy, uh, which is awesome. It's kind of a mix between political science and economics, so uh, getting the mix of two was great. Um, but I mean, I'd, it'd be, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't always trying to get to the NFL. That was a huge goal I always had my entire life. So um, did that and worked through it and, you know, had a lot of success, also a lot of failures. But uh, when it came time to hang up the cleats, I was just like a lot of NFL players really struggle with what they're going to do next. And um, it's kind of interesting. We have this like weird stat in the NFL where the majority of players 10 years later are we call it the three Ds. You're either in debt divorced or dead because like it's a really hard life after you finish playing and for me it was always scary thinking about whether or not I was going to fall into one of those categories it hasn't been 10 years yet so knock on wood <laughs> but, um, but you know speaking primarily about the in-debt portion um, what could I do essentially after I finished playing football so I could like parlay into my next career and I had no idea I was going to get into sales uh, but I did know that I had like a very strong set of certain skill sets um, that made me successful and got me to the NFL. So after a lot of reflection, talking to people in the industry, talking to people in a lot of different industries, uh, all signs started pointing towards sales, and I just kind of sprinted with it, took a leap of faith. And what were those? What were those skill sets you recognized, and or and did maybe some other friends and mentors and support systems along the way say, "Hey, yeah. Ernest, dude, take a look at this." Yeah, sure. So. For me, like, I, I don't care who you are. I don't care how much better you are. I'm, no one's going to compete me, period. I don't care what the circumstances are. Um, and that was something that ha- helped me be successful as an athlete. So uh, when I kind of started talking to people and they knew how competitive I was, then they knew the natural transition would be into sales. Um, also, my work ethic was something that was was very much ingrained through football. I, uh, As an SDR, I used to get in the office at 5.30 every single day. I still get up at 4 a.m. every single morning because I want to like get an edge over everyone. Um, and in particular, especially the, the process I take with like trying to find ways to grow. Um, one of the really cool things about being an athlete is, um, it's really, especially once you get to like the elite level of being in the NFL, you're only like really good at a couple, like really, really good elite at a couple of things. And the great athletes, like the hall of famers, they're, they're more focused on the chase of becoming perfect at like their one or two skill sets. And the people that I knew, uh, the, I'm sorry, the people that knew me after I finished playing football knew how dedicated it was to that continued growth, knew that if I could take that skill and transition into sales and like always trying to find ways to learn and, and like figure out the one area I was really good at that had translated into being a great salesperson. And um, I trusted that. And that's why I chose it. What did, what were you like, like, is the kid? Were you this competitive at six? <laughs> up at 5 a.m. and grinding it out early? Like, like if we, if we had your, your mom or dad or, or your grandmother on and we said, like, come on, what was Ernest about? When did you, when would you have known that Ernest was going to be passionate enough, not even skilled enough, but just passionate enough to push that hard to get to that level of excellence? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, I think I've always been really determined, but um, because like through every single level of progression of football, it just requires a little bit more focus and dedication, like that 4am thing. And like, you know, working eight, working out eight hours a day, like that didn't start like kicking in until college and even got even a little bit stronger once I got to the NFL. So it was definitely something that like I was kind of pushed towards. Yeah, but I want to, I want to go deeper. Tell me a story. What would your parents say? What, what, <laughs> what, would, what would a family say to say, you know, there was this time when he was seven and that's when it sort of hit us all that we was destined <laughs> Destined for whatever it is. I don't mean like greatness or NFL, but just destined to succeed. Sure. 
So I can tell you a story on that. When I was seven years old, um, my parents weren't home, but there were some like weird circumstances. But like I saw someone in my neighborhood like riding a bike, and they just took their training wheels off. And um, I didn't like I didn't know how to use tools or anything like that. But like I figured it out, and it took me probably like two or three hours, just like cranking and cranking and cranking and trying to remove the training wheels until I finally got it. And then when I came home, my parents were surprised that I did it. And because obviously, like as a seven year old, you're not really supposed to be strong enough to like twist the gears to get the training wheels off the bike, but I was super determined to do it because I, I saw other people in my neighborhood doing it and um, I just had to make it happen and I did. So I think that was probably the first thing where I was like really determined to make something happen and when, when I wasn't even technically supposed to do so and I'd probably use that as a story as to why I'm kind of way right now. That's awesome. I think you just gave us the title, The <laughs> to Twist the Tools. <laughs> yeah. I'm laughing at this bicycle story because I can, I can remember being so competitive that um, my best friend down the street, he learned how to ride uh, a bicycle without training wheels first. And like, he took off and was cruising around. And I was like, can I try? Like, I, I, wanna, I wanna do that. And so I started cruising and I ate shit and split my elbow open and, and scraped my knee all up. And I remember like running home and my mom like had this, my mom's a nurse. So she like literally had to stitch up my elbow I still have a scar from it to remind me she was like you know what 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 the hell happened I'm like well Smitty was riding a bicycle and I'm like I can't I couldn't let him just like <laughs> you know, do it and show me <laughs> That's okay. so where did, do you just you know were you just always that way like as a kid like were you just always this way like you know, was there some instill in something instilled in you and maybe the work ethic of your parents or mentors or other people you saw? Like, or is it this is just how I came out, man? This is it. I think a combination. It's like when things like that with the bike happened where I worked really, really hard and did something that I probably wasn't supposed to, I got a lot of joy out of doing that. So I think I just like through time, through a lot of different experiences, um, just started to fall in love with like grinding for for things that I wasn't supposed to achieve and working really hard and and reaching high goals and like especially like as I mentioned at, once I got to college like when I realized how hard it's gonna be to get to the NFL and especially once I got to the NFL realizing how hard it's gonna be to even like step foot on the field uh, that intensified so it, it definitely grew a lot through time but I think it was always there just from like limited levels of success as a kid is is the gap between the elite sales professionals and like somebody with a sales job about the same smaller or bigger than the gap between like you mentioned, like the hall, hall of famer, like the all pro versus somebody who's just like on the team or, or maybe even just on the practice squad. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, That's a good question. I would say for sales, it's a lot. I mean, there are some elite sellers. Don't get me wrong. Um, the elite players that I saw in the NFL, because you got to think about it, like they they were already elite just to get to the NFL. So the difference between someone who's in the NFL versus the eventual Hall of Famer is like yeah. something that comes around every you know couple of years or every decade or so. So I, I definitely think in the NFL that gap is pretty big, but at the college level, it's probably pretty similar. Like if you look at someone at the collegiate level who's uh, like playing, getting by, versus someone who's eventually going to get drafted and be a top top producer um it's not that high it's not that big of a gap but it really just comes down to the people that like want to find ways to improve and they're like truly dedicated towards it they get there yeah so why why sales development 
what is it about the SDR kind of role and function yeah. that has been so appealing to you for the last few years versus some other kind of, you know, yeah. like work or. That's a, that's a great question. So, I mean, so I started out as an SDR and then I actually closed for about a year, a little over a year or so. Um, I, I love closing. I still like one of the cool things about being at Sixth Sense is I get to sell a lot. So I'm in a lot of customer and prospect calls. So I get that little taste of selling every now and then. Um, but for me, one, I love to win more than I hate to lose. And I think it's a big distinction between salespeople. People t- tend to say that like enterprise sellers or strategic sellers hate to lose because of how much work it takes to actually get the win versus like more of your SMB, mid-market, quicker deals are more the ones who love to win. So I, I'm very much of someone who loves to win and that like definitely feeds into the quick wins of all the meetings you get as an SDR. So seeing the, the, the dashboard light up and people getting meetings, I just get a lot of thrill out of that. Um, but I will say, especially with being an SDR, BDR leader, I still get my, my taste of like athletics because I, I do feel that like it out of all kind of sales leadership kind of roles, SDR leaders are very much of people managers more than anything. Um, and that's a lot of how coaching is in my opinion. And I, I would have loved to have finished playing and to get into the coaching world either at the you know, collegiate level or professional level. But the reality is that work you have to do is like, you have no life. Like my, my coaches in college in the NFL are working easily hundred hours per week. Um, and I just, even though I loved football, I didn't want to do that. So, but, but I did want to coach. So the SDR leadership role still allows me to coach at a really high level and, and be uh, more of that people personal manager that I like to be. Yeah. What do you feel like that liking or loving to win more than hating to lose allows you to let go of the losses faster and easier? Like, you can yeah. just, all right, on to the next one. <laughs> no, I, I, there's still part of me that doesn't like to lose. Um, I, I'm just more focused on the winning. Like it's, I, I'm, I'll take the loss and learn from it and grow from it, but um, I'm just more focused on the winning before anything else. I, it's not that I forget about them and I can easily move on just because I like to win more, but um, yeah, that's kind of more or less how that goes. You go back though and do you, you know, again, like a, like a game film, you're like, okay, we lost that. It sucks, but let me go in and let me figure out what this was, right? Are you that kind of a leader? Every single time. That's so though I do like to win, like I'm very conscious of the fact that like, and this, this kind of goes back to being like a master of your craft and like trying to be like that elite level athlete that I was trying to do before. Um, there's no ceiling with anything that we're doing. I don't care how good of a salesperson you are. I don't care if I'm no longer a BDR. Like if, if I got into the role right now and started using the tactics I teach my team, yes, I would perform at a certain level, but a year from now, because I'm constantly trying to find ways to learn and grow, I would be an even better version of an SDR than I, than I would be today. So, I'm very conscious of the fact that like we will never ever hit our ceiling. And the only way that you can do that is you're really self-aware on your weaknesses and, and looking for failures to grow off of. Otherwise it's, you're just not going to uh, continue to improve. Now, are you managing a team or are you just a senior director and it's a title for, for from a promotional perspective? So I'm managing manager. So it's a team of about, I guess, including me, it's about 20 people right now. Yeah. And then how many managers between you and the team? Two managers. Two managers. Yeah. You know, I can only imagine that there's so much relevance between coaching because it is coaching, right? You're, you're this head coach. What, what tips would you give to other people who are newer to management in sales? And maybe they didn't have that strong of a sports background, right? Like yeah. they get it, but they don't get it. But what, I guess if I were to ask your two managers, what makes Ernest a great leader and a great person to work for? What do you think they'd say about you? Richard's yeah, sure. Richard's trying to figure out why we're better than him. 
I'm, well, done, I'm done managing people, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not quite that point yet, but what, what I will say is um, I'm very, and this definitely comes strictly from athletics. I can give you stories of why I focus on this, but I live and die by culture. And like people say culture is like a fluffy thing and like you're supposed to have it and like people know they're supposed to prioritize it, but they don't really like focus on it like they should. Like I take that so seriously. Um, I, I can think back to college. I, I was in a team in college where um, actually seven of us got drafted to the NFL, but we finished the season at like seven and six. And it was purely because of our culture. We had, and then we had like Deshaun Jackson on that team. We had some people that were eventual Hall of Famers, like some really great athletes. But because we were more of individuals and like weren't bought into the team focus of like what we needed to win collectively, we just couldn't perform. But on the flip side, I've also been on teams where like they weren't very talented but we were so committed to each other and knew exactly what we needed to win. And our culture was more important than anything else that we won championships. So um, again, it's super fluffy to say it, but I live and die by culture. Yeah. But how do but what does that mean to you with your managers? Like, like give us an example, like here's how I do it. Yeah, sure. So uh, our culture is defined. So we have this, this acronym of six cents called family. It's fun, accountability, mindfulness, integrity, love. Yes. So every single week, I highlight whenever we are always highlighting the managers and the BDRs on my team. Stop right there. Slow it down. Go repeat that. Cause I want, I know people are going to be like, what did he say? Like that was. Yeah, sure. Let me slow it down. So the acronym that we kind of hold ourselves accountable to for our culture is family, which is fun, accountability, mindfulness, integrity, love, and yes, all of those have different meanings, which we all are very well aware of in our organization of how we should be living and then kind of how we should should or should not be doing those things. So every single week during my team meeting, we always call out by region, the managers as well as the BDRs, at least one person from a separate region who best embodied one of those key elements of our culture. On the flip side, if someone's ever doing something that hurts that culture, we address it quickly. And and, and that if you think about it, just even the word accountability of what that can mean in terms of performance, people doing their job, uh, of people helping each other out. Um, that's how our team has been successful. We Another one that's been really helpful for us is we have this yes mentality, which basically means I'm gonna be the person who's always gonna reach out to offer guidance. I'm gonna be the person who's always gonna reach out to help you on your calls or help you write a cadence or help you do account research. And that's as we've scaled our organization, it's been super cool because even though there's always like a natural competitiveness with BDRs because obviously they want to be the best, that yes mentality, which we're always highlighting, it's allowed us to ramp really quickly, to share ideas, to get the team always thriving throughout time, even when we grow, because uh, it's what they care about. Yeah. And it was expected of them. Picking up on the theme here of, of culture, as well as um, just being willing to help people out. Let's shift gears for a second. Talk to us about the sales brother and, and sisterhood and your and your involvement in, in that. Yeah, that's that's I'm glad you brought that up. So uh, Morgan Ingram, uh, I think it was back in like July 2019, uh, he kind of just had this epiphany moment where he was like, like, I don't talk to enough black people in sales. <laughs> or like there's not really a safe place for us to go and just talk and invent and share how we're feeling. Um, so he reached out to me as well as KD and a couple others in the space to kind of start this group where we want to create a safe space for other black sales professionals to just be able to talk with each other share experiences, network with each other. Um, so we started it, it was again, back in July, we said we were gonna do it. And we started, we launched it more or less 
in, uh, I think it was in December or so, and perfectly timed for this year, which I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. And it started out with about like five or six of us, and now it's about almost 300 of us. And it's basically a Slack community uh, where we send out invitations to whoever wants to join. And all we do is talk about like the black experience in sales communities of what we can do to promote black, ex black excellence, how it can navigate through any kind of troubling times, especially with everything that happened this year. Yeah. Um, personally for me, it was, you know, I've always been like one of the only, everyone kind of knows that I've always been one of the only in all the organizations I've been. And fortunately with Sixth Sense and even my other companies in the past, they've had support groups, but when all that stuff happened with George Floyd and, you know, Brown Taylor, all that was happening, like being able to have a community where I could just literally go in there and freely talk about how I was feeling and like how hard, like how hard it was to, to be at work and to talk about how I needed to like literally take a day off because mentally I was so drained from what was going on. I had not had something like that before. So for me, as one of the people who like helped found that group, um, it was awesome. And as we've watched the group grow, it's been super cool to see the impact we've been able to make for other black uh, sales professionals. What, and you guys are putting on some events and stuff now as well, right? I, I've, I've yeah. seen you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So we, it's, we try to do it every month, at least every other month, we call it a cookout. And honestly, it's a loose agenda, but we just kind of talk through things that we're going through. We help each other out through uh, any circumstances that uh, we're seeing in our workplaces and just give each other good perspectives on how to deal with it. And um, it's really cool because as I mentioned, you know, we started out about, you know, it's like five or six of us and over the past year or so, it's almost 300. I'm definitely super excited to see what it's going to look like in the next year or so because we're only continuing to grow. But um, yeah, to your point, like we've, we've helped people find opportunities at organizations. We've helped uh, with our cookouts, just having a place to vent and share ideas and ask people questions about how they can kind of navigate through the black experience as a sales professional. And um, it's, it's been a lot better of some of a, an experience and a resource than I thought it was going to be. So I'm super proud of it. That's great. What, what can we do better? Right. Scott and I are two white guys, right? I, I think we've been conscious. I think we've become more conscious this year, but you know, I think we both have hired people from, from all ethnicities or backgrounds or whatever your gender identification is, but what advice can we give to people about this, right? And and to recognize it, how to talk about it, not talk about it, you know, mm -hmm. it's still very uncomfortable and awkward. Like even as I'm asking them, like, how do I say this without offending anybody, right? So. Yeah, it's, it is challenging. Um, I've always said the biggest thing you can do is just expose yourself. Um, whether that's through hiring, whether that's through joining affinity groups, whether that's through just listening to podcasts, um, the more you can expose yourself, the more empathy you'll, start be, you'll be able to build and the better will help you lead, whether you're leading or if you're, if you're not leading. Um, so in terms of tactically things that people can do, I think a lot of people struggle with like even trying to find a way to like source diverse candidates. There are a lot of organizations out there. If you, if you want to find them, you will find them. What are they? What are the organizations? SB Academy, Flock J is out there. Um, there's like, like going through programs with certain schools. Like I know, I think it's, there's a, HBCU, I can't remember the name of which one it is in the South that has like a sales program to try and source SDRs into them. I've personally used SV Academy for the past three years for my go-to to try and find candidates. I know Flock J has been an awesome uh, group as well, but like if you want to, find, and especially affinity groups is another great, great way to do this. But um, if you want to find them, they're there. Like it's, it's, it's not always easy to find them, but if you look at, for example, even with, you know, the sales and brother sisterhood, like that's fairly new, but there are over 300 of us in there. So just knowing one person is in that group can kind of open the door uh, for you to kind of reach in and ask if there's anyone in the group that could potentially look for an opportunity. Yeah. 
you have to move with intentionality is the word that I've been using. You know, you, you can't, you certainly can't just say, well, these are the resumes that came through my desk. Exactly. Right? And then you, you also can't say, okay, I'm going to hire in this cycle, you know, uh, diverse candidates, black reps, female reps, whatever, but not really do much about it other than just say it. Like you have to actively, like you're saying, move with intentionality. Like, so if, if this was a, a stated goal of mine, like I'd be popping into the sales brother and sisterhood and be like, hey, Ernest, I'm trying to hire people. Mm -hmm. I know you got people in that community who are out of work right now or who need jobs, SDRs or managers or whatever. Give me some names, give them to me, right? Like that's moving with intentionality. That's so easy to do, yet so many leaders and organizations are still not moving that way. Yeah. And you, you hit on a nail. It's, I mean, even for me, you know, as a black sales leader, like obviously it's a huge priority for me. Um, like I have to like be very, to your point, very intentional. Like I have to go seek it. Otherwise, unfortunately, the reality is, I mean, the pool is a lot smaller. That's what makes it a little more challenging. But I do know from my own personal experience of leading BDR teams and hiring in that direction for the past couple of years that you can make it happen if you prioritize it. It may not be as easy as you'd like it to be, but it, it will happen if you make it a priority. Yeah. What are you moving towards now in your career? What are you trying to study and learn learn more about? And, and where where are you headed? I guess is what I'm getting at. So it's interesting because you know I'm an SDR leader, and you know when you think about SDR leaders, you can kind of take a couple of different paths. You can either be like a lifer, as some people call it. Um, you could eventually move into marketing. Um, personally. I don't necessarily know if it translates as well into like going into like a C level kind of SRO, CRO type position, but um, I love the sales development community. I want to see myself as one of the best that there ever was. And um, a lot of what I'm focused on is just being a better leader. Um, and, and it's as you kind of climb the ranks and manage bigger teams, it becomes a lot more difficult, obviously, because you have to like try and pull people who've already done it in the past, which again, as you grow, it's a lot harder to find that. Um, but the thing that I'm focused on is I just want to be the best and um, whatever piece of information I can do that fits into how I coach my team and how I lead my SDR BDR teams. Um, if I can pull that one little nugget, which maybe it might take me a week or so, or it might be harder for me to find, uh, I'll take it and incorporate it just like, so I can keep adding to my arsenal. So, um, and that's the exact same principle that I had as an athlete. Like I remember when, you know, I got to the NFL, like I had a, a certain move that I was really good at. And because I refined it over a period of time, like, it was better than obviously like 99% of Americans who could do that move. That's just because I was at that level. But I knew that in order for me to get better and, and to beat out eventual Hall of Famers and people who are great, I had to try and find that one little tiny nugget within that that I can improve upon. And I try and take that principle uh, as I'm growing in leadership just so I can find ways to improve as an SDR leader. So how, how are you getting better as a leader right now? Like what is the actual distribution channel or, or the, the people that you're, you know, networking with and building relationships and learning from, like, how are you, how are you doing exactly that? Yeah, sure. So I, I would encourage everyone, if you don't have this, to have a tribe of mentors, but I would also encourage to think about your tribe of mentors uh, during certain periods of time. Like when I first came out as an SDR BDR manager, um, you know, there was not one in my company. So I had to learn from people who were currently doing it. Um, 
now as I've grown and I have different goals uh, in SDR leadership, like I have to find different people. So always having like your, your tribe of mentors is important for me. Like I am all over podcasts, just listening for like one tiny nugget here and there from some sales leader as they're how they're running their teams. I'm also pretty active in uh, certain Slack communities like revenue collective where people are just bouncing ideas off each other and sharing their perspectives. In addition to that, sometimes on an ad hoc basis, I'll just reach out to an SDR leader at a company where I know they have a pretty good program and just pick their brain on how they're doing things. But um, I'm, I'm constantly searching for different avenues and different techniques and strategies to incorporate with my team. That's great. What do you, I'll go, you know, into something again, you know, I hope we've done a pretty good job of, of straddling this NFL thing. Cause I know we could go dive deep, like, like fanboys on this, <laughs> but, um, which I do want to ask some questions about. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not silly, but I, I want to make sure it's business related too. Is like, we'll talk about slumps, right? Mm-hmm. You know, whether it was in college at the pro level, you know, um, what's the mindset to keep going? You know, and it's, it's kind of like it's almost like you know when you're the when you're the the one in thirteen Miami Dolphins of a year or two ago, right? Like, um, you know, what are you doing in week fifteen to make sure you're still going? Yeah, motivating. So I'll, I'll give you a story about that from college. Um, so we were playing against USC and we were getting pummeled by like 40 points in the third quarter. So there's no way we were going to win. Um, but I had a certain technique that I'd been working on all week and I was looking for the perfect opportunity to use it. And I finally did it and I made a big play on it. And I like started celebrating. I was like losing my mind because I actually did it. And I kind of got a lot of slack from people because we were losing so badly. And I was like, so <laughs> celebrating yeah. a ton. They're like scoreboard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But like, that's been, that's always been my process. So like whether I'm winning or losing, I'm always working on something. I'm always trying to find a way to improve or um, I always have a, a, a goal that's not necessarily tied strictly to the end result. And uh, when I'm in a slump, that's what I focus on because I, I know that's how do you, and do you coach it that way too? Like, let's say you got an SDR who's, you know, look, it's the last week of the month. Um, you know, maybe they've had a terrible month. Um, you, know, yeah. or, you know, how do you coach that? I, I definitely do because in a weird way, sometimes with the SDR role, like very rarely, but it happens every now and then, sometimes your quota attainment isn't necessarily a direct uh, correlation with like how well you can sell. Um, so if I see someone who's like literally doing everything right, but maybe they fall like 80 or 90% of their number, like let's focus on helping them find ways to improve upon that. Or if they have a certain weakness, that they just barely missed the mark on how can they improve on that little section right there. Um, but I, I more so coach people on like their process and how they're doing things and their, and their strategy as opposed to like hit the number and, and make sure that you're hitting. Obviously we want to hit our quota. That's the most important place we're doing our jobs, but um, we focus more on like the individual and how they're performing uh, in terms of growth as opposed to just rather the number. And what are the strategies that are working best for you right now? And have they changed in the last nine months? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, we, we've definitely doubled down with our own product. Um, I think using an account-based structure makes it a lot easier to generate opportunities, uh, especially through everything. Uh, but we, we tend to take very much of a multi-channel approach. So social, emails, calls, video, gifting, all of that. 
Um, I will say, and I can say this probably just subjectively, I don't have the, like, the cold hard facts on it, but we've generated a lot more meetings in the past through LinkedIn. And I, I would definitely attest that to the fact that um, people are just much more active on LinkedIn now because they're working from home and looking for that personal connection. Um, but we, again, we take very much a multi-channel approach, but I think there has been a, a lot more success recently, which I think is kind of here to stay uh, through social channels. Is there a particular approach through these social channels that is helping you to stand out? Um, yeah. I ask this because I probably get two to three dozen messages slash solicitations a day. Everything from, hey, surfboard emoji, let's connect, <laughs> right? Or in your case, it'd be like, hey, fist emoji, <laughs> let's connect. So that bullshit. Yeah. And the other people who are like, can I steal 30 minutes of your time to the other people who are just straight pitching me in my inbox to the other people who leave me an unsolicited LinkedIn voice message to the other people who leave me an unsolicited video message. <laughs> so what, 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 what are you optimized for right now? What is yeah. bringing the best result and, and, and how, what is your, what is Ernest or Sixth Sense's spin on that particular message? Sure. So we have a very prescriptive approach. Ernest, make stuff. sure that your entire team sends Scott each of them. Oh, it's coming. <laughs> oh, it's coming. Only surfboard, no name, just a surfboard. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, we have a pretty prescriptive approach. Um, we, we like to take the approach of let's engage with the person, build rapport, then ask for a meeting. Like if, if I ever see any kind of connection request or immediate email or message where the person is strictly pitching before, like, building any kind of rapport, then that's a big no on our team. Can you, can you build rapport and ask for the meeting in the first emails, in the first LinkedIn connection? I think you can, but I think for a better connection, it's better to build a rapport. And, and building rapport can be simple things as like liking their posts, commenting on posts, even some profile views. Um, but we want to make sure that we're sending a personalized, let me emphasize that, personalized connection request to the person. Define that, because that works. That <laughs> yeah. What's happening? Step one, step one, get somebody's name right. <laughs> yeah. Personaized has overtaken personalized, where people think just, you know, if I talk about you as a persona, not as a person. So what is that? What are you coaching your team there? Yeah, it's, it's actually super simple. It's like, hey, person, you know, did some research in your company, thought I put a face and name. Side note, saw that you've been interested in XYZ over the past couple of years and wanted to talk to you about that. And just no ask, no, no, no ask for the meeting after that. Once they accept the connection request, if they respond back to us through the message, then we'll engage with them. But again, no strict ask right away. But then once we kind of get that connection request, then we're starting to like do view, uh, profile views, liking on comments, you know, that kind of thing, just to build some more familiarity. And then when appropriate, because they're also getting calls and emails from us, when appropriate, then we go for the ask. Because at that point, you know, they heard voicemails, they've heard, they've seen your name in the inbox, they kind of know a little bit more or less of who you are, and kind of what you're eventually going to pitch them. And because we've kind of earned the right to ask them through the messaging uh, of LinkedIn, that's when we kind of do that. Did you, did you pay him to say that, Richard? Yeah, he's got to pay me. So that's my <laughs> so, Earn the right. Richard has t-shirts that say earn the right. I'm working on a trademark. Um, so I, so I want to shift. I do, I do want to go a little, 
fan geek on the NFL, right? So, you know, what round were you drafted in? I was actually undrafted. I, um, I went to, it was kind of a, it was a tough day because I took a visit to the Bengals, the Titans, and the Bucks. I was supposed to go to visit the Bucks, but they ended up, it was a scheduling issue. And I was projected to go anywhere from like fifth or sixth round. And part of that issue was I actually, my numbers for like the combine were like top three out of everyone in my position. So I thought I was, I thought it was going to happen, but um, for a lot of people, you know, obviously it doesn't like pan out that way. But fortunately, if you do go on draft, you get to actually choose which team you go to. So because I was kind of like a higher like expected draft pick that didn't get drafted, I had like 17 teams I could have chosen. And I, similar to what I would recommend BDRs do, I did a lot of research and chose the Vikings because of kind of how they play their undrafted free agents in the past and what their DN structure was like. And yeah, that's kind of why I chose them. And so can you I, can, so wait, you can, wait, can I, can yeah. I ask, can I ask, did you ever find out or get feedback on how you slid off the draft board? No, I, 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 I almost asked one day my GM at the Vikings, just because I was kind of curious. I, I like thought they were going to draft me. They like, called me on draft day saying they were, or they didn't. Um, but I just never got the feedback from them, which is kind of like a huge black box for a lot of players. But, you know, it is what it yeah. is. So, so you, when you go – so you get to go choose, and that means you're there for – you get to go through their workouts through the, through the year, and then you get to go to training camp automatically? Yeah. So, I mean, so I guess – what I would have been called is like a preferred undrafted free agent, like people that typically you expect to get drafted, but they don't. Um, you almost can guarantee a slot in training camp. And, and basically once um, the draft is over, you go to do like a mini camp and you look, start learning the plays, you start doing the workouts, and then you have like a little off period. And then you go to training camp, which is what I did with the Vikings. So how did you, how did you earn your way onto the team, right? Like you got to go from where you were to like <laughs> final cut. So this is, this is, I don't think I've actually told him the story before, but – I got some sage advice from someone once that uh, for people that are undrafted, picking a fight with a veteran is a good way to get on that team. <laughs> Richard, does that story sound familiar a little Absolutely. bit? Absolutely. We, we've, we've only talked about that a few times. We need to talk about it more about that's kind of how Scott made the soccer team, which then helped him get his one of his two scholarships. Yeah. To, I love it. <laughs> That, I'm, di I'm dying on the inside hearing that story. It's, uh, I mean, so, who, who was the veteran? Can you call him out or no? Or should you not? So I'll call him out. It's a guy named Phil Lodho. And I will say, look this person up. He's like 6'8", 350. So like way bigger than me. Um, <laughs> the biggest guy in the field. Yeah, basically. Um, I didn't notice. <laughs> yeah. But that was the point. And like, I, I didn't do it. I don't like to fight people. I, that's not who I am, but. Um, I did get the advice that if you're undrafted and you want to make a team, you got to find a way to stand out. And I just picked the biggest guy and started messing with the practice and we started fighting and then I got a lot of cred and then the rest was the <laughs> That's a great story. That is like, that's me. Those are the things people want to hear about, right? Like I think yeah. that's, the, that's the fun stuff. We could probably go on for, I know Scott could, but I could certainly go on for another hour about tell me more stories about the NFL, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, um, but, but I think we're, we're at that stage where we got to start to wrap it up. And, and we always do is we always like to flip it back to you, Ernest, and, and say, you know, what can we do to help you, support you? Um, you know, maybe even – I know we, brother and sisterhood um, is important, so maybe give out a website or the Slack channel if people want to check that out. But what else can we do to, to help you? Yeah, sure. So I think that's – you pretty much hit on the nail. Um, 
I'm really passionate about like the experience of black sales professionals. And I was super excited when Morgan kind of started that group because it was something that I really cared about, but I hadn't really taken action on anything yet. I mean, I'd done my part with SV Academy and trying to be very um, intentional, as Scott mentioned, with my hiring, but um, having a group grow like it has and being a part of that and seeing people succeed with it has been great. And I just encourage anyone, um, reach out to me via LinkedIn or to go, we actually have a, a LinkedIn um, company now, it's the Sales Brothers Sisterhood. Um, just reach out to anyone who's a part of that. And if you have anyone who you think can benefit from that group, or if you have any, if, or even potentially if you'd like to hire from, from the group or learn about candidates that might be available, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'm more, more than happy to help. That's great, man. Thank you. This has been a, a, you know, there's always fun ones, but this has definitely a, a, been a really fun one. Uh, Ernest, we appreciate the time. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks, it. Ernest. Yeah. Quick shout out to our sponsors of, of Find Them, Lead 411, Perception Predict, and Gong for the month of October. So we appreciate everyone's support and thank you very much. And Ernest, we would definitely love to have you back on here again. I know for sure. Love it. Happy to do so.